Thanks. Thanks so much for reading as well, Joe. I think it's one of those, um, you know, when you put on Bible reading and you're like, I just hope that it's not an awful reading. And I, when I picked it, I'm like, I'm so sorry. So sorry. <laughs> but thank you so much. You did great. You did well. It's awesome. Um, I wanted to start this morning by um, sharing a story with you. When I was um, 21, I decided that I was going to go on my first overseas trip uh, by myself. And I decided to go to Vietnam, which was... Um, at the time, I was very excited about it. I had a plan. It was all going to um, – all seemed fine to me. Um, I, I found out afterwards there were a few people that were like, why is she doing this by herself? Um, anyway, it wasn't actually until I got to Saigon Airport that I realised that um, I possibly hadn't thought this through quite the way I might have. Um, I got off the plane and I was ushered in to um, kind of the customs area and this was unlike any airport I'd ever been to before. Everyone was silent. Everyone. No one was on the phone. No one talked. No children misbehaved. Everyone stood in these straight lines. And my heart started beating. It's just, it's this kind of, it was so uncomfortable. And it was then that I noticed that all around the room, there were guards with machine guns. Um, not kind of casually attached to their, you know, as part of their uniform. They were holding them. They were definitely um, watching for anyone to be making any kind of wrong move at that moment. And I had this moment where I just, I was very lost. I felt very, oh, my goodness, what am I doing here? What have I done? And I was very unsure. It was very uncomfortable. And I got to the customs desk. And um, the very lovely and very organised um, customs gentleman said, are you here for, um, for holiday or for business? And I'm like, oh, holiday, I think. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was, on the whole, it was a good experience. But that moment, um, I wanted to share that with you this morning because um, sometimes I think that's how we can feel about the Old Testament. And um, when we come to this passage that we're looking at today in Deuteronomy, um, it's hard for us to get a handle on it. The times when Jesus walked the earth um, are difficult enough for us to kind of get our heads around, but somehow the Gospels or the letters in the New Testament feel more familiar to us than the texts that we come to in the Old Testament. And we can feel a bit lost, a bit out of place, a bit like, oh, my goodness, what are we doing? So just like when we visit another country, we get a bit of culture shock when we go to the Old Testament. But it's a visit worth taking. Um, the Old Testament accounts for two-thirds of our Bibles and it has a lot to offer us. Over the next month or two, we're going to um, be in this series where we're going to explore parts of the book of Deuteronomy. So why Deuteronomy? Perhaps you're asking, why would we do that? Why would we go there, Sam? Um, it's probably a lot of reasons, but I have two for you this morning. Deuteronomy records for us um, the sermons or the speeches of Moses to the people before they cross over into the land that they've been promised. And we've called this series, Don't Forget To. Um, and the reason for that is this context. I want you to picture Moses. He's old now. He's been um, with this growing bunch of escapees from Egypt for a long time. He's guided them. He's encouraged them. He's reprimanded them. He's solved disputes for them. And he's nurtured them. He's been their parent. And just like a parent, before sending their child off into the world, Moses has some final things to say. 
some just before you go, don't forget to sayings. You know the ones? You're the ones your mum or your dad says as you walk out the door? Probably still now. My mum, I'm sure. Don't forget to. Sorry, mum, she is here this morning. <laughs> she does say that. Um, and as we journey through this series together, it will become apparent that the core messages of these, um, these sermons, these speeches, is this. Moses is saying, when you go into the land, you'll have to choose how you live. When you go out into the world, you'll have to choose how you live. And when you're faced with that choice, choose the things that will lead to life, life with God. And since we want to continue to grow and be stretched in our faith and learn to choose the things that continue to help us live life well with God, we can learn from this part of God's story. The second reason is that Deuteronomy sets a lot of context for us in understanding what God is doing in and through Jesus as he's born into the world, as he lives, is crucified and is raised to life. In the lead up to Christmas, as we remember Jesus coming into the world, Deuteronomy helps us have an understanding of how God is at work. So just before we um, go any further, I just want to take a minute and just, um, just pray for us as we work this through together. Join me as we pray. Well, God, um, thanks so much that you are at work in the world. God, we thank you for your word and that you have um, given it to us. We pray that you would help us to understand, that you would help us to um, listen to your words and apply them to our lives. Lord, we want to grow deeper with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so this morning we're going to start with kind of um, the, the big picture and then we'll kind of zoom in and zoom in um, and we'll get to that passage um, that Joe read for us so well. Um, so we're going to start with looking at where Deuteronomy as a book kind of falls in the whole of um, God's story. This is important when we come to um, any um, passage of scripture, just like you wouldn't read a random sentence from a novel or a little paragraph from a textbook without um, understanding where that fits in the unfolding story or where it fits with the other information that's around it. So too we don't just pull something out of the Bible and assume that we know where it fits without looking at it. This is um, important for all scripture, but it's very important when we come to the Old Testament because um, some of those concepts that sit there can feel really foreign to us. So if we think about the big um, events that happen in the Bible before the Old Testament, um, what do we have? We've got um, creation. This is like the speed version. This is the Sam speed version. We've got creation. We've got covenant. So when um, God chooses Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph, and then um, the Hebrew people get taken into, they're enslaved in Egypt. And then Moses comes and there's an exodus. That's when they leave Egypt. And then they have this moment where they're wandering around in the desert and they go into the promised land. In that space, they become a nation. They ask for a king and they have a series of kings, David, which is their highlight. Um, and then the kingdoms fall and they're taken into exile. And throughout um, kind of that period of the kings and the exile, we have the prophets who are always calling people back to God, calling the kings or calling the nation or calling the people. Back to God. So that's kind of the, the speed version of the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy, um, if we zoom in a bit, um, Deuteronomy fits in the context of the Exodus. It's the fifth and the last book of what's called the Pentateuch. 
just if you wanted a fun new word to to learn today. Um, also known as the Torah. So the Torah is the um, Hebrew word for the law. So when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees or to um, people about all that's written in the law and the prophets, um, the law he's referring to is this Genesis to Deuteronomy. That's what he's talking about. Now, just as an aside, I just wanted to share this this morning. When we hear that word law, we often bring our own understanding to it. We think of rules. We think of our justice system and we tend to associate law more with keeping social order um, and the punishment that exists for error. That's not the case for the context into which this is written. Law, the Torah, can also be translated as instruction or teaching. And we reflect on the kind of um, literature that we come across in those books. So if you um, have a think, have a flick later today about the kinds of stories and the kinds of things that happen in um, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's much more story, there's much more narrative than there is kind of lists of rules. And these books exist um, holistically um, as writing that's intended for instruction. All of it's intended for instruction, um, for teaching and for training God's people. That's kind of why it was there. I think it's just it's just a side note. It's a bit academic, I know, sometimes, but it's just helpful, I think, for us to understand how this scripture got used in the past and, and how it was kind of intended to be used. What, what was its point in being written down? So Deuteronomy itself is set against this backdrop of the Exodus, where God leads the Israelite people out of Egypt. The Exodus is one of those key events that we kind of highlight, that are highlighted. And alongside the exile, um, the Exodus is a story that in, interprets the experience of faith. The Exodus is about a journey from captivity into uncertainty and then into faith and into freedom. As a concept, it's what we experience as we come to be followers of Jesus as we come into relationship with God. So if we zoom in a bit further and look at Deuteronomy, there are a couple of things that are important for us to know when we think about this as a, as a book in itself. Deuteronomy is roughly split into three sermons that Moses gives on the edge of the Jordan River before the people cross over into the land. And this is important to remember as we read through it. It helps us know what's going on because there's lots of things in Deuteronomy that you'll say, oh, I thought that story was somewhere else. And it is because part of what Moses is doing is he's retelling what's happened. He's retelling past events. And that's going to be really important. So I want you to, we're going to come back to that today. So hold on to that thought. And at the heart of this book, there is this concept that I think is a bit foreign to us. It's this concept of covenant. Covenant is a word um, that we may have heard around church circles before, um, but it's sometimes unclear what covenant is. And in Deuteronomy, covenant is a central theme to the book. The very point of this as a book, this piece of writing, is that it's a text that articulates the covenant. It's written down and its um, intention was to be read at festivals or at events so that people would be reminded of this covenant, this promise. So what is a covenant? A 
covenant is essentially a promise. Um, but while you might make a promise or you might sign a contract, the verb that goes with the covenant, with covenant in Hebrew is the verb to cut. We cut a covenant. A covenant was made between two parties and rather than shaking hands or signing an agreement, there was a sacrifice. Animals were cut in two. This is a hardcore promise. It was always about a relationship that would exist between two parties. And the terms of the covenant would outline um, this relationship. The intention of the covenant is that the parties agree that the fate of the animals that were sacrificed will be their fate if they don't hold to the agreement. This is the kind of promise that you absolutely keep. <laughs> um, as Alika was saying before, we've all broken promises. This is not the one that you break. <clears throat> when we break promises, it's generally not because we've set out to. One of two things happens. Either we're not as faithful to that promise um, as we thought we would be, or the thing that we've promised to do is beyond our control. So the key to keeping promises is to only make promises that you can keep. For God, God is infinitely faithful and God is sovereign. So God makes promises that he can keep. He can make them because when he promises something, he means it. And what he promises, he's able to carry out. He's able to see it through. And in this covenant, in fact, in, in all the covenants that we find in the Bible, God chooses to bind himself in faithfulness to the people. This is important. While the people are the people of the covenant, they don't initiate or make the covenant. God is faithful because he is faithful. It's not conditional on the people's response. Let me give you an example. God brings the people out of Egypt before he gives them the Ten Commandments. God doesn't say you can't be my people unless you do these things. He says, you are my people. I chose you. As my people, this is what life with, with me looks like. For us, when we come to the text of Deuteronomy, this is really important for us to understand. It changes how we read and kind of um, interpret what's happening. So a covenant is a promise. And this covenant is um, initiated and made and kept by God. And the law, what's written um, in Genesis to Deuteronomy, reflects the character of God and instructs people on how to respond to this gracious act of God. But it's God who's at work. It's God who's doing this. This is God's story. So I want to zoom in a bit further now and um, kind of look at that passage that Joe read out for us. So if we have a look at Deuteronomy um, 1, 1 and 2, um, it goes like this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Suf between Paran on the one side and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth and Dezahab on the other. Normally it takes only about 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by way of Mount Seir. Same with confidence. I think that's the answer. Just say these words with confidence and um, 
we'll go with that. Um, so we start with Moses. Very beginning of the book, start with Moses. He's standing there on the east side of the Jordan. And um, we get a whole list of place names, which, to be, to be really honest, they are hard to say and they don't mean a lot to us when we hear them. But they're important. I said earlier that Moses was retelling the past. Kadesh by now means very little um, to me unless I look it up. Um, but for the Israelites at this time when Moses is speaking, they'd be very familiar with what Moses is saying. So I want to show you a, a slide um, of a map, hopefully. Thanks. Um, so Kadesh Barnea is kind of, uh, so if you go uh, two-thirds of the way across the screen and like a third down, there's like a couple of arrows and it says Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. Oh, look, it's amazing, Alicia hey. circles it. That's so great. I love it. Technology, it's amazing. Um, so this is kind of, there are lots of um, different ways that scholars understand or think that the exodus, you know, where people wandered might have happened. This is just one thought about it. Um, but what's helpful is that it lets us see um, Kadesh Barnea. Mount Hor is kind of um, Mount Sinai, same, same place. And then up the top where it's the very end of the um, arrows are, there's Jericho. And there's a little arrow. And so just to the east side of that blue line where the arrow ends is, is where they are. That's where Moses is standing. They're about to cross over. They're going to hit Jericho. That's the plan. Um, the reason Kadesh Barnea is interesting is because Kadesh Barnea is where they first come to. Um, it's where uh, God says, leave, leave Mount Sinai. And they come to Kadesh Barnea. This is where they were supposed to initially go into the land, um, but they didn't do it. Just We'll come to that in a minute. And this is a bit of a circular story. Um, but there's, it's 11 days from Kadesh Barnea to Mount Sinai. So that, that little part is about 11 days walk. So from then Mount Sinai north, it's maybe about twice as far as that, but it takes them 40 years. So this is the thing that... Um, is kind of trying to be pulled out here in this passage is that it's actually, yeah, it's far, but it's not 40 years worth of walking far. Um, and they're kind of back at this place again. Kadesh Barnea was where they were supposed to go in and take the land. And here they are again and Moses is saying, I want you to go in and take the land. And so um, there's kind of this remember who you are, remember what happened before, um, tone to what's happening. Um, so if we come back to this passage, um, Moses is standing, there's been 40 years, that's a whole generation's worth of people. So he's now standing in front of a new generation. And so um, this journey has not been about getting them from Mount Sinai to, to where they are standing. Um, because if it was just about getting them from A to B, it would take them, I don't know, 30 days maybe. This has taken 40 years because the journey is also is about changing the hearts of the people. It's about changing who they who they are and who they trust. So um, if we come back to our passage and we keep reading, um, 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. This took place after he had defeated King Sion from the Amorites who ruled in Heshbon and Edri 
and at Edri and had defeated King Og of Bashan, who ruled in Ashtaroth. They're really weird details to include, aren't they? For us it is, um, but it gives a sense of timing and it also tells that the conquest of the land had already started. The people were already starting to take over the land. And what follows in Moses' speech, speeches here in Deuteronomy is going to be important as they progress. It's that just before you go, one last thing, don't forget. And then we get the beginning of Moses' speech, his first speech to them. And he says to them, when we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighbouring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev and the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Not the river, the river. Look, I'm giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it. For it is the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to all their descendants. Now Moses is speaking to a generation of people who are perhaps too young to remember what happened um, when they left Egypt. Some of them had been born and lived their whole lives in the desert. And Moses tells them their history. He's retelling their past. He says, we were learning to worship and trust God as his people. And then he told us to leave that place, to set out and travel to a land that God would give us. This is the land God promised your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to you as their descendants. Now, what we've stumbled into is a reference to another another covenant. This covenant that Moses is sharing with them now in Deuteronomy extends um, from a previous covenant that God had with his people. That covenant started with Abram. If you want to read about it, um, you can find the beginning of that story in Genesis 12. Um, there's a bit more of it in Genesis 15 and then there's kind of the end of it in Genesis 17. Once again, that covenant the covenant with Abraham, was about who God is. God chooses Abram and promises to bless him, to make his name great, that he will be a blessing to others. And God asks for faithfulness in response. Then God says, oh, and by the way, this is the land that I'm going to give to you and your descendants. Then God makes a covenant and promises Abraham's descendants more numerous than the stars and he promises a stretch of land from the border of Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. God makes this covenant with Abraham. God does not make promises that he doesn't keep. And this covenant is the foundation for the one that's now being made with the Hebrew people through Moses. You know that promise to Abraham, God says, I've not forgotten. You are those people. And I am that God. And this land is part of what I'm giving to you. Now, there's probably a whole other sermon series that we could do about the land. Um, but for the moment, we're just going to leave it there. What we learn about God here at the very beginning of Deuteronomy is that this is a God who is faithful. Above anything else, God will keep the promises that he makes, even if it takes years, years and years. The other thing that we pick up right here at the very beginning of Deuteronomy 
is that the covenant and the relationship comes from recalling the past. Moses says to them, and he'll continue to say it to them throughout Deuteronomy, remember, remember and don't forget. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. And this is not so very different from our faith, our life of faith. We forget easily. We need to be reminded sometimes about how big and great and amazing our God is, how faithful he is, how precious we are to him. We need to be reminded not because God stops being those things, but because we get caught up in the details of our lives and we get stuck and we forget. One of the ways that we remember, the way that Jesus asked us to remember who he is and who we are is through communion. He gave us this tangible experience and action to take to actively remember who God is and who we are. And when Paul is setting out this practice and reminding the Corinthian church of this practice, he says to them, for I passed on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after the supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Jesus' death and resurrection is a new covenant. What is this new covenant about? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. Here's what we find um, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah kind of talks about the new covenant and he says, um, this is from Jeremiah 31, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. This picture is God again binding himself in faithfulness to his people. And just like other covenants, this one is marked by grace. But this new, co this new covenant doesn't replace the previous one. Instead, Jesus takes the punishment for us, not holding up our side of the previous covenants. It isn't replaced, it's restored. You know how I said earlier that the verb for covenant was to cut? cut covenants Jesus death does two things it carries the burden of the previous covenants on behalf of the world and sets this new covenant so that we might always be able to approach God knowing he is forgiving and having the freedom to live as his people a key part of this new covenant is the gift of the spirit which is how the law is written on our hearts and how learning happens deep within us 
our response to this offer to be one of God's people is to live life well, learning to grow more and more like Jesus through the spirit who coaches us. Just to ask um, Alethea to just um, go to the next slide. So just, um, just we'll play some music in a minute, which you can kind of use as your reflection time for communion, but also just take some time to think through some of these questions. So um, other than communion, what's one way this week that you can actively take time to remember who God is and who you are in him? You might be spending some time out in, um, in creation, um, just reflecting at, at the beauty of our world. Um, it might be reading something or um, drawing something, using your creativity. Um, God is a creative, amazing God. And um, so anything that you, you do to remember who God is and um, what can that look like for you this week? Um, then also maybe have a think about um, how does your story intersect with God's story? We've looked at this morning is, um, you know, Moses retelling the history of the, the people's relationship with God. And so if you were to retell your history or to think about what does your story um, with God look like, how would, you, how would you talk about that? And then... Um, just a bit of a challenging one. If you had to pick one, what do you think is the most important thing for us to remember in our relationship with God? Just um, take some time to reflect on that and um, spend some time um, praying and um, Alethea will play the music for life. 